Welcome to the latest edition of Match of the Week, an ongoing series within the Let Me Tell You Something podcast universe, where your two co-hosts, myself, Lorcan Mullen, and your other co-host, Simon Cross, taking in turns picking a match from the wide history of pro wrestling across the globe to see how it matches up, if there's something that we particularly wanted to discuss given the current firmament of discussion, and just to see how it affects our own perceptions, maybe of a match we'd watched before, or a match we'd never watched before. Simon, this was your pick. Do you want to tell the people what we're talking about and why it was that you picked this? Well, we, you didn't really pick this match, but you gave me someone you wanted to watch and I kind of did the actual hard work of finding the appropriate match for it. <sighs> so, you know, I've still yet to receive my finder's fee. Yeah, all right. Your medal's in the post. <laughs> yeah. oh, we are talking about a New Japan Pro Wrestling match between Owen Hart and... Shiro Koshinaka. A junior heavyweight match, this. I believe it's for the IWGP junior heavyweight title. That is being defended by Owen Hart. Owen Hart was the first ever Gaijin to win the IWGP junior heavyweight championship since it was introduced a couple of years ago as the replacement of the WWF junior heavyweight championship. And what we have here is early Owen Hart. That was what you said you wanted to see. You wanted to see some Owen Hart. I did. I wanted to see some non-WWE slash F Owen Hart. Uh, The reason for that is coming up soon in AEW, we have the Owen Hart Cup. And through, obviously, like library issues, a lot of the footage they use, all of the footage nearly they use of Owen, comes from New Japan. And it just piqued my interest to see what Owen was like when he wasn't... The heart that wasn't Brett, if that makes sense. Well, there were really only three definitive places for Owen during his sadly short career and life. He started off in Stampede, obviously. He had these runs in New Japan more than anywhere else that garnered him interest through being this exciting junior heavyweight. And his two stints within the WWF. His short one, just after this match finished, basically, he was a... I wonder if that's why he only held the title for a month. Maybe he said, oh, I'm going to the WWF, so get it off me. Get it on to uh, one of your native guys that's not going to go away. Yep. And there he went to become the Blue Blazer and play up what we see in this match, which is his high flying and his athleticism. Now, I always have said that Bret Hart's my favorite wrestler of all time. So I will always say that Bret Hart is the most talented wrestler of the Hart family. Mm. But I think it's fairly obvious that Owen Hart was the exceptional athlete yeah. of the Hart family. He so he almost seems out of place. He, like, he, like he should be in a later time, like in this match. He's, he's really a, like a trailblazer as well as a blue blazer in the way he wrestles. And I can see why a lot of wrestlers in later generations talked about like how good Owen was. And you can see like, how they were influenced by him as well. It's funny as well when you look back on it, because now if Owen Hart was around now, he would maybe be getting more attention than Bret Hart because flashier moves, more high-flying style would be more important to this version of wrestling fandom, this generation of wrestling, 
than Brett's more methodical, logical, less spectacular, but more consistently well done. Yeah. You know, it's the reasons, you know, as I've said, like it's the Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart's dichotomy of pro wrestling. And Owen Hart is kind of like a, a bridge between the two that he can do the Bret stuff, but he can do the Shawn stuff as well, really. Yeah. Also, I mean, he's a junior heavyweight at this point. When he was in the WWF, he was always one of the smallest guys, but I think he was about five foot 11, maybe five foot 10. So in the current time of wrestling, he'd be of average, if not slightly above average <laughs> height of uh, a lot of the AEW roster in particular. Yeah, he he he's wouldn't... Got, he's got muscle mass. You know, he looks like he's over 200 pounds in this match. Yeah, he wouldn't be markedly a junior heavyweight these days, that's for sure. Like, you could see him tower over, like, for example, Taiji Ishimori. Or yes. Uh, him against Jungle Boy, he would look, like, physically the bigger man in, like, mass and height. So, obviously, one of the things that was going for Owen when he went to Japan and the reason that he was pushed so hard and, and presented so strongly would be the fact that he comes from that stampede tradition. Mm. And so many of what he does in this match is reminiscent of the Dynamite Kid, who, you can argue, is artistically the most influential professional wrestler of all time as we were talking about when we discussed the Dynamite Tiger Mask match, which this follows in the lineage of, where the Gaijin wrestler from that Canadian Calgary area goes up against the native talents and challenges them for the junior title. With Dynamite Kid and Bret Hart, it was them going up against Tiger Mask and Tatsumi Fujinami and the Cobra as well. And obviously there was also Black Tiger and Davy Boy Smith other figures but this is now the later period of the new japan junior division where it was much more internalized so shiro koshinaka was in a constant feud well not feud but rivalry for the top dog position within the junior heavyweight division when the iwgp junior heavyweight title was introduced in like 87 88 with nobuhiko tsukada returning from his first stint in the uwf and there was also hiroshi hase so it was more the time that still the junior heavyweight, I suppose it was more about the junior aspect to it, that it was still seen as like the step up to the heavyweight division. Yeah. Rather than a division in and of itself that you would stay in all your life. I suppose it was Kichi Yamada, Jushin Thunder Liger that would change that because he was so short that he really was never going to go realistically above the junior heavyweight division. Yeah. It was against Jushin Liger that Owen Hart came back after his first Blue Blazer stint and put over a few times, and he did have a few matches with Kichi Yamada before he went off to the UK and elsewhere for his learning excursion and coming back repackaged as Jushin Liger. Oh, okay. But what's funny about that, though, is that because they're of that more traditional style, I suppose they're more a Tatsumi... Koshinaka is more a junior heavyweight in the mold of Tatsumi Fujinami. He's not flashy. He's not spectacular. And it's so funny when we were talking about the Dynamite Kid and the Tiger Masks and how important those matches were. That was Dynamite Kid is more the base that's grounding the even more spectacular Tiger Mask. Yeah. But with this one... The script's flipped. It's flipped. And it seems strange that it's like the quote-unquote invading Gaijin in theory that is the spectacular jaw-dropping guy and it's the local talent that's desperately trying to keep him on the ground and, and yeah. holding him down with arm bars and headlocks and everything. Just desperately trying to slow the pace. 
which feels like a more of a heelish thing to do. Obviously, the heel face dynamic is not as prevalent in Japanese wrestling, and Owen Hart's certainly not being booed by the crowd. No. But that was what really took me out looking at it. If you were to watch this match just blind, you would say, if you're going to cheer for anyone in this match, it's going to be Owen Hart over mm. Shiro Koshinaka. But he's obviously the guy's in, the foreign invader that has mm. the title as well. Mm-hmm. So it's Koshinaka defending the honour of New Japan, essentially. Against uh, this guy from Stampede, this this other, basically. Yeah. He really does impress me in this match, Owen. Like, the way he moves around the ring. Like, you see in there, like, a blueprint for what wrestling becomes say, like, 10 to 12 years later after this match, which takes place in... Is it 91? This is... No, this is 88. 88. I do apologise. Yeah. 12 years later would be your WCW Cruiserweights, basically, and you can see a lot of that in Owen's performance in this match. Well, not even that. We get the standoff. We get the indie standoff. <laughs> yes. Before indie... Back when territories were still a thing, before indies. <laughs> But yeah, that is to show that they're of the feeling out process of it all. Yeah. But, um, so it's like Koshinaka's constant strategy in the first half of this match is to ground Owen Hart. Every time Owen will get a flurry, he'll try to get back into control as quickly as possible. And when he does, it's holding him down. It's all technically competent and it's all logical. Mm. But I guess my point would be Hiroshi Tanahashi makes everything logical, but he also makes it into an exciting match. Yeah. And it's almost like Koshinaka's like, well, if I make this an exciting match, I'm screwed. <laughs> He's the Mark Selby of professional wrestling. Yes. Uh, or that one time, I cannot remember what title defense it was, but when Anderson Silva... Yeah. And Dana White had a strop and left before yeah. the, uh, the the bell for the last round. It's the George Graham Arsenal of professional wrestling yes. tactics. Yes. The arm bar, his equivalent of the offside track. <laughs> and I'm sure there's an American football team that does that. Oh, I'm not sure in terms of like the modern day, maybe there's an historic one. Like Tom Brady got this accusation once for a lot of like doing a lot of doing a lot of short routes. So like just a like little like death by a thousand cuts style thing rather than short like, incremental games. Yeah, rather than like Patrick Mahomes for example who bombs it down down the field at like he has an absolute cannon on him. So that's one I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure I'll be corrected if I'm wrong, but uh, that's the one that springs to mind. I was just wondering if, if another bit of um impressive athleticism was Owen Hart landing on his feet off of a backdrop. Yeah. Yeah. Koshinaka now Koshinaka we have seen him before. We saw him in the one and only five-star match that he had with Dave Meltzer's blessing. It was also the one and only five-star match that Kijimuto managed to have. Yes. Which was them as the underdogs challenging Akira Maeda and Nobuhiko Takada for the IWGP Tag Team Championships. And that was a year before this. So again, it's curious about how the junior heavyweight division wasn't necessarily so separated from the heavyweights mm. it was like a learning curve it was almost like you got your long young lions days and then you got your junior heavyweight days and then you're into the heavyweight division there were some in later years that followed that path like i know that naito i think naito won the iwgp junior tag titles with uh yajiro and i know that hiroki goto also challenged occasionally. yeah and very often junior heavyweight Best of the Super Junior tournaments, when someone goes out injured before the tournament starts, they'll drop in a, a young line and they'll have a record of Owen and 
nine or what oh and eight or whatever i think yu yu yamira was in the 2020 version of the best of the super juniors i believe so there's not a lot to talk about this match other than more about owen i suppose so your knowledge of owen i guess is the bratty slammy award winning turning his back i mean do you even know anything of like the new foundation high energy owen Hart? i know he was an honorary member of the nation i was even after the Slammy Award winning and everything that was yeah his run in between returning after the Montreal screw job and briefly wrestling as a face and I was so into Owen at that point because Owen was always like I for the longest time I said my three favorite wrestlers in order one two three were Bret Hart Owen Hart British Bulldog yeah I don't think I would put Owen and Bulldog that high now but I did love Owen Hart and I was so happy. A, that he reunited with Brett in the Hart Foundation. So to me, he was a babyface at that point. <laughs> but then when the Montreal Screwjob happened and everyone left except for Owen from the Hart Foundation, yeah, it looked like he was going to get put into the main event. He attacked Shawn Michaels after, at the end of the Degeneration X pay-per-view the next month in December and then got into a feud with Shawn Michaels. And he would harass him and, and tail him everywhere. And Sean was kind of terrified of him, but he also did that promo about flushing the crap down the toilet. There's one little nugget that won't go down. Yeah. That, after Owen became a heel, they brought that back and started to call him the nugget at that point. (laughs) But the problem was that the Owen's feud with Shawn Michaels got transferred over to Triple H. Ah. And they pretty much put Triple H over on... They put Triple H over on Owen at WrestleMania. And then the next show, I think it was called Unforgiven. And Owen said, this bullshit's done. And so he became heel the next night. He attacked Ken Shamrock. Yeah. And it was in a tag match against the Nation of Domination. But I didn't expect him to actually join the Nation. And he was always like a satellite member yeah. of the Nation. He was there when they needed him to be there. But what was, again, odd was that that led to the Nation feuding with DX on behalf of Owen. But then Owen sort of moved away from that feud to feud with Ken Shamrock because it was Ken Shamrock who he turned against. Yeah. So the four-on-four feud became The Rock, The Godfather, D'Lo and Mark Henry against Triple H, The New Age Outlaws and X-Pac. And Owen was sort of just put into his own thing. But when they did the famous and now... You can't show that anymore. DX Nation promo. Yeah. There was an Owen Hart impersonator there. Who had like a massive nose. I I, I remember they threw... That was so much like plasticine or whatever they used. Like silly putty, whatever. But it just looked so ridiculous. You can argue that Owen was the first guy who had his push halted by Triple H. <laughs> In a way. Mm. Um, so I was I was really disappointed that when the 1998 Royal Rumble happened, I thought Owen was going to win it, not Stone Cold Steve Austin. I thought it was going to be Owen. Oh, okay. And we were going to get Owen Sean at WrestleMania, and we didn't. Maybe if Sean had stayed, if the injury had not happened, maybe they would have put them back against each other after Austin won the belt. But I get the sense they would have put Sean over Owen as well. Yeah, I mean it would have worked. Obviously, like the title wouldn't have been involved in the feud, so maybe. They'd be more willing to do it as like a bridging feud. But I, I do think you're right. I think Sean ultimately would have got the W there. And I think Owen was always seen in the WWF as at his best as a heel. We never really got to see. And I would say, if you want to see more of this Owen, obviously watch the New Japan Junior stuff. 
there's not really a lot you can say that's positive about high energy, especially their costume. Mm. But if you want to see this Owen in a WWF match, the best one you can probably watch is the opener to the 1992 Royal Rumble, where he's teaming with Jim Neidhart as the new foundation. Yeah. That was their brief tag team against the Orient Express. And that's just basically a showcase for Owen's high-flying and it would have been curious to see how the new foundation could have worked. The, usually when you do the new version of an old tag team, they're almost never pushed that hard because what can you do with them? It's just a rebranding of a better version, like the new Blackjacks of Wyndham and Bradshaw in the yeah. 90s. They were never pushed as hard as the Blackjacks were. Or the new Midnight Express with Bombastic Bob and Bodacious Bart or the other way around. It was never going to happen, but the idea of doing the Hart Foundation tag team where you've got Jim Neidhart as a powerhouse, but instead of Brett the technical guy, it was Owen the high flyer. That could have been something if Jim Neidhart was as motivated to keep working as hard as he did with Brett's, but he caused so much hassle and problems with his behavior that they fired him within a couple of months, and then Owen was kind of stuck in the singles division until they teamed him up with Coco Beware to form high energy. And then the really, the only thing that really gave him any momentum was when he became sort of a supporting player in the Jerry Lawler storyline. And he went to Memphis and got to do his heel stuff for the first time. And that of course then led, I mean, it's funny actually, like you think of Owen Hart's period in the doldrums when he first started in the WF, but that doldrum period was only about 18 months. Yeah. And then they give him his feud against Brett. And that's one of the greatest feuds in WWF history. And my second favorite match of all time. And then there's the cage match as well, where they sort of use that. But again, that's sort of you isn't that used to really like get Brett away from Owen with The Undertaker? No, no, The Undertaker was a few years after that. But it was setting up Brett to feud with Bob Backlund soon afterwards. Mm. But then when Brett lost the title to Bob Backlund, it was because of Owen Hart's chicanery convincing his parents that he was really worried for Brett's welfare. Yeah. As he was stuck in the crossface chicken wing and convinced and like doing a full he was a great shithouse i suppose would be the nicest way to put it he wasn't brilliant (laughs) uh playing that bratty i mean he looks a lot like johnny from the karate kid slash cobra kai right he has got that blonde hair and that punchable face yeah (laughs) and he he just played it up so perfectly that he was the it kind of worked that he was a couple of inches shorter than brett's so he was that bratty younger brother and he had the blonde hair which is sort of some of the most boys who get blonde hair, like myself, kind of grow out of when they get older. And if you factor in, obviously, his um, penchant for ribbing backstage, he, he mm. did have, like, he loved the needle in real life, so he could easily convey that into a character. So, yeah, he was really able to do the. Uh, it's one of those signs of someone who's a truly great worker that they can do it, that he fits in New Japan and the WWF just as well. Yeah. And even like you could say that then, and you can you could even say that today. Like his style, as you see in this match, certainly isn't dated by any stretch no, of the imagination. No. You could drop him into AEW and he'd fit right in. And like you know, like yeah, it'd just be plug and play, sort of like. Well, I like the Lucha Bros, Bros for that because I think they can plug and play uh, more than they let on. Penta certainly, like he's got a good ground game. But, um, it's about Owen. Yeah, but like, no, what, what I mean is like they're, he'd have that flexibility. You could equally see him have a classic with Dax from FTR, but you could equally see him high fly against 
uh, Ray, for example. Well, I mean, he died at the age of 34. Now, I know that Martha, his wife, his widow, has said that he planned to leave wrestling as soon as possible, so maybe that would have been the case. Yeah. But he would have left by the time he was 36 or so. And the matches we lost is nothing... It's not a drop in the ocean to what his family lost from him, you know, and what his friends lost from him. Mm. But you do think if Owen Hart was still around, and he'd been poorly booked... Well, not poorly booked, but he'd been... I don't know. I wasn't a huge fan of how they booked him. Really, well, I didn't like the fact that they turned him heel so soon. But his feud with Ken Shamrock did have some good moments. So I think the Lions Den match is a curious one to look back on. Yeah. Owen incorporating WWF logic to a UFC setting and doing some cool stuff with that. Isn't that like meant to be like one of Shamrock's best matches in the in the WWE? I would say it is. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, then he forms his tag team with Jeff Jarrett, and it's perfectly fine. It's nothing remarkable, but the, that's all the Deborah's Tits show yeah. featuring Owen and Jeff. But the fact that he could adapt, like by the time when the new Heart Foundation formed, he did become a much more serious character. He even gave himself a crew cut, and he was, you know, obviously the Stone Cold. Actually, that would have probably been another thing that would have halted him because it was oh we can't push him so far because he would have to be put up against austin and austin wants nothing to do with him yeah so you always have that as a problem maybe he would have ended up in wcw in like late 99 or early 2000 or as she said retired i think she said he wanted to become a fireman yeah he was i think he was in brett's book he's saying he was training to be he wanted to be a fireman and that's that was his post wrestling plan for himself but you can theorize about it all but you know, if he could have been tempted to stay around, and if, you know, by mid-2000, you know, my favourite time in the WWF ever, you've got Chris Benoit, unfortunately, in different ways, but Eddie Guerrero, Kurt Angle. Malenko. Malenko and Saturn, the Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian are in a more prominent place. The Dudley Boys, Chris Jericho, The Rock... There were so many people that could have done some great stuff with Owen in the ring, and we never got to see that. But, you know, again, that's utterly irrelevant. And what we do have of Owen is a fantastic body of work. Yes. Covering comedy, main events, mid cards, lower cards, high flying, technical stuff. One of the best opening matches and WrestleMania matches of all time. One of the best emotional story storylines. And as far as this match goes, it was a good. It was a good match. I think that junior heavyweight wrestling in New Japan was about to be reinvented with Jushin Liger and be its own thing, not just like a middle school to the primary school of young lions and the the high school of the heavyweight scene. Yeah, yeah. Koshinaka was never that spectacular a wrestler, and never came. He was kind of like, I suppose you would position him sort of like evil now, maybe, or Minoru Suzuki, in that he was this heel of, like, the next, the second heel faction down. Right. Heisei Ishigun, I think they were called. And so he was a perennial challenger for, like, the IWGB Heavyweight Championship, and he'd get a sneaky win in a G1 Climax match, but he never won the Heavyweight title. He had a few runs with the tag team title. He had one uh, team with Genichiro Tenru. But the funny thing with Koshinaka was he didn't start off in New Japan. I talked about this in the um, in the previous match we talked to. He trained in All Japan. And his rival in the Young Lions time, so this is at the same time that Chono and Muto and Hashimoto 
but particularly Muto and Chono are having this rivalry in the Young Lions division. Yeah. The equivalent All Japan opening match between the two youngsters that were going to be the future of the company was him and Mitsuharu Masawa. And Koshinaka was the senior one of the two, so he would win nearly all the matches against Masawa. Yeah. But then when Masawa got the Tiger Mask repackaging and was pushed harder as like Baba and Saruta's sort of junior ace. Yeah. Koshinaka got a bit jealous and didn't think that was fair, and so he moved over to New Japan. So he was actually an early mover. But okay. I think because he had that grounded style that probably appealed to Inoki, you know, there's a lot of Inoki, I think, in Koshinaka that he was seen heavily, but maybe the fact that he wasn't quite that homegrown guy that he spent the first two or three years, they were never going to give him the push of the Mutos, the Hashimotos, and the Chonos. Mm. So he had to be happy in that sort of perennial challenger position. The funny thing was, his history with Takada in this junior division, then when there was the UWFI invasion that inspired the NWO storyline in WCW, yeah, when Takada beat Muto for the IWGB heavyweight title, before he dropped to the next dome show to Hashimoto, his one successful defense was against Koshinaka at a UWFI show. Ah, okay. It's always that funny thing about how the history of these guys in, in Japanese wrestling always comes back. Like, if Owen Hart had gone to Japan, they would have probably programmed him in 99, or, t- you know, it, if he chosen not to go to WWF or WCW after the Montreal Screwjob and gone to Japan instead, yeah, they would have stuck him up against Jushin Liger and made a whole big deal about that, you know? And uh... Oh, that would have been fun. But... Or maybe put him up against Koshinaka in the heavyweight division. But, you know, sadly, it's... Uh... All speculative. Well, there are Owen Liger matches there to watch as well online. Uh, both Yamada and Liger. I think he challenged Liger for the junior title in 89 after, in his time in between his two WWF stints, he went back to New Japan and he also lost his blue blazer mask in Mexico in a mask versus mask match. So he was still working around the place, but. Yeah. Yeah, well, like an all-time great, and hopefully this tournament, whatever format it takes... Tournaments. There's a men's and women's. Yes. Hopefully it will do him justice and become a more annual thing, and we get to see his widow be more comfortable with, you know, as you say, all the archival footage is in the WWE, and let's not get into all that. There's some very strange people on Twitter. Yeah. But if you want to watch some Owen Hart, this is not a bad place to look, because it really is like Owen Hart as the unlikely showpiece of the match. Yes. And Koshinaka's victory over him is presented as a fluke. Like, when he brings it into the action and the high pace, Koshinaka is struggling to keep up. And he just finds an opening very suddenly. It's a real flash roll-up, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So Owen's in a state of shock, but he's magnanimous in defeats. Yeah. With his glorious headband at the start as well. Yeah. Again, a a very... uh, Johnny from Karate Kid sort of look to him. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Simon, if people want to get in touch with you with some more Owen Hart recommendations, maybe some more Shiro Koshinaka recommendations, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free, free for the number of massive moves Owen hit before that flash roll-up. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A. A as in the A in the second letter of heart, and N as in the N at the end of Owen. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbots. If you put an at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. 
for the next episode. We are going back to Silver Screen Visions for the first time in a long time. But instead of it being a movie, we're going to do a TV special. But it's going to be two episodes of television. And both down the more raunchy comedy, are we allowed to laugh at this anymore <laughs> world. Simon, what matches? What matches? Well, I suppose there are some matches within there. But what shows and episodes are we covering? We are covering the South Park wrestling episode. And the Always Sunny in Philadelphia, the Gang Wrestles for the Troops episode. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great week. Until the next week. (laughs) 